Well, welcome and Merry Christmas to you. Glad to see all of you here. Um, I think for 51 years I've been waiting for a white Christmas in Dallas. And I suppose I may be waiting another 51 years for that. 70 degrees outside and it is Christmas Eve. So Merry Christmas to you. Many of you are visiting with us uh, this evening. We're glad to have you. Welcome family and friends, those who are coming from out of town perhaps even. And so maybe you've not been with us here on recent Sunday mornings as we've... That's all right. Pick it up. It's okay. It's still one piece. Sunday mornings as we've gathered together to work our way through uh, the book of Ruth. We've been studying Ruth's Old Testament short story for the Advent season. And that's an interesting short story as we've studied it and read through that uh, book deep back in the Old Testament. If you were to read that story on, on its own without the, the scope of Scripture around it, then it would seem to you to be a culturally dated, but maybe sort of pleasant story about tragedy and love and rescue. But when it's placed within the context of all of Scripture, of God's redemptive plan in history, then Ruth shows itself to be what it is, a snapshot of something much, much bigger, a story of devastating tragedy and of otherworldly love, and of the rescue of all rescues. And so for just a few minutes here this evening as we gather together on Christmas Eve, I'd like to summarize that Old Testament short story for you by way of one sentence from the New Testament. And you won't see that sentence written in your bulletin, but the scripture citation is there from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. And that sentence reads like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to understand your word this evening together. We pray that you would gather us around this one sentence that you've given to us in Scripture so that we might recognize your love for us in Christ and help us to believe it. Help us to see how your love gives to us what we cannot give to ourselves. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And there it is, the story of Ruth, right there, in one sentence. An Old Testament short story unwittingly, I'm sure, summed up in one sentence, more than a thousand years later, by a recovering Pharisee, Paul, writing to a very troubled church and exhorting them to generosity. That's what Paul's words to the Corinthians at this point in his letter are about. Paul is exhorting them to give, to give of their resources to other Christian brothers and sisters who have need. He says to them, give for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, is it not? Unless you've forgotten, this is actually why we give gifts to people who are close to us, and maybe sometimes to those who are not as close to us. We give gifts to people because of this theological and gospel truth. Ruth's Old Testament 
short story has shown us some of the dimensions of God's covenant love over these weeks as we've looked at it. It's shown us that God's love for us surprises, sometimes in difficult circumstances. And it's shown that God's love for us favors those who can do nothing for themselves. And it shows that God's love for us asserts itself for our good. It's shown that God's love for us redeems us. That is, it buys us back to, to, to recover our original purpose and to give to us a perpetual name in Christ. And now here's the Apostle Paul, not thinking of Ruth at all, I expect, as he's writing to the Corinthians, exhorting us to see that covenant love gives. It gives. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What does it mean to be rich? Well, there's a variety of answers to that question, I know. I mean, we all might tend to lean quickly into money and property and possessions when we think of that word. And I suppose at some point, one's possessions perhaps reach a quantity and cross a line so that that one is now called rich by others who see But I'm not sure where that line is. I'm not sure any of us know where that line is. It depends on who's looking and from what vantage point they're looking. The riches of the Son of God are for sure beyond comparison. And the Corinthian Christians knew that as Paul wrote to them this letter. They knew that because Paul had spent a year and a half with them teaching and preaching the gospel to them. And there were among them both Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul would have explained to them the grace of God from all of its different angles and dimensions and historical sources. These people knew grace. They knew the undeserved and uncoerced favor of God for people who, because of their sin, could not rescue themselves. This was a very troubled congregation, this Corinthian congregation. They were rife, rife with divisions and with arguments and with immorality. In other words, they were really no different than any congregation. You know, some of them hide it better than others, but these folks were beyond the point of hiding it. And yet, love had prevailed. A love that is patient and kind, as Paul wrote. A love that doesn't envy or boast. A love that's not arrogant or rude. A love that bears and believes and hopes and endures beyond the ordinary capacity of ordinary love because this is a love that never ends. Covenant love had prevailed because... Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for their sake became poor, so that they by his poverty might become rich. Covenant love gives. But this story was old by the time Paul unwittingly maybe wrote of it. In the days of the judges, we read in the Old Testament, some 1,300 years before the birth of Christ, An Israelite from Bethlehem gave up. His name was Elimelech. We've read about him some these past few weeks. He gave up because of a famine in Israel had persuaded him to move his family to Moab, a neighboring country, other side of the Dead Sea in the desert, where they might find better hope for life, but they found death, of course. Elimelech died and his two sons died, leaving Naomi, his wife, and two Moabite daughters-in-law destitute widows without hope in the world and the shadows of Christ 
began to stretch across the desert sands. One of those daughters-in-law, Ruth, had seen God's covenant love reflected through Naomi and the gods of Moab, so-called, did not engender love like that. And she desired to respond to this love and it led Ruth to give. A millennium later, Paul would explain it, that the quest to provide this love led Jesus Christ to give, to become poor so that we might become rich. So that you can see the the long-term intentionality of the coming of Christ in Advent, the coming of Christ at Christmas, I want you to recognize the shadows of Christ in the life of Ruth. There There are three brief ones I want you to see and consider with me. First of all, for your sake, he became poor. How? How did he become poor? He gave his status. Ruth gave up her status in her home country, as it were, being a Moabite. She gave up that status to risk herself for Naomi. On the road back to Bethlehem, Naomi is walking with her daughters-in-law, and she realized the trouble that Ruth, this Moabite widow, would face in Israel. She realized that, that Ruth, being a native of an enemy country, was going to face hardship. She was likely going to be rejected by the people of Israel. She was likely going to be abused by the people. She was possibly even going to be killed. She faced some real hardship. And so Naomi extended to her love. Because when you have no status in a broken world, all of those things are on the table. So to spare Ruth that trouble, Naomi urged her, return to your people. Go back to your father's house where you have some status, where you're known where you might find marriage waiting for you perhaps again in life. Go back to your father's house. But Ruth would have none of it. She was not interested. Ruth knew love when she saw it. What she did not know was that her response to covenant love was a foreshadow of the incarnation. How could she know that? She couldn't possibly know that. For your sake, Jesus Christ became poor in status. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary to a virgin, any virgin, was miraculous. But that the eternal Son of God, the Word by which creation came to be, took on flesh for our sake, that was love. Because love gives. For your sake, He became poor. How? He gave His community. Ruth would know no one in Israel as she traveled there with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She would know nobody there. She had married an Israelite man, of course, but he is now deceased and gone. And her childhood neighbors, her Saturday morning coffee friends back in Moab, well, they're not going to have anything to do with her in Israel. She's leaving them back in Moab. She's leaving her community 
behind. And yet she saw some redemptive hope in the distance that caused her to give up her community in order to be a community for Ruth. What she didn't know was that her response to covenant love was going to foreshadow the incarnation. How could she know that? She couldn't possibly know that. For your sake, Jesus Christ became poor in community. Do you realize that? For all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, as we say, had known perfect, undisturbed, fulfilling community. God needed nothing, and he needed no one, but then comes the incarnation. It's the perfect non sequitur. It doesn't follow, does it? Then comes the incarnation. Jealous, inconsiderate siblings, fearful, controlling parents, inconsistent and forgetful friends, and unfaithful disciples, all the staples of broken community. And you wonder why the Scripture tells us that Jesus often went off into a solitary place to pray. That's why. And yet, for our sake, He gave His community to redeem community for us. Sometimes the community of the church breaks. Sometimes it fails. Sometimes it hurts and even wounds. Jesus knew that too. That the Son of God established the church is miraculous. But that the Word of God sustains the church even now, that's love. Because love gives. For your sake, He became poor. How? He gave His wealth. Now, financially speaking, as I mentioned earlier, wealth is a very relative term. It depends on who's looking where. But... Ruth had little, and what access she did have was in her father's house. She gave up access to food and to shelter and probably to marriage. She gave up access to all of those things. That was about all the wealth that she had. She gave that up to do for Naomi what Naomi could not do for herself, which was to bear a son. That's what Naomi needed in this world And Ruth had no idea what might await her in Bethlehem. She did not know what was going to be there for her, but she did know covenant love in Naomi. And so in faith, she gave up what wealth she had. What she did not know was that her response to covenant love was a foreshadowing of the incarnation. She could not have known that. For your sake, Jesus Christ became poor in wealth. Now, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalm tells us, right? And that doesn't change. That's still the case, but that's not the point here. God also owns every ounce of righteousness in the universe. And without it, no one will see God. And so, for your sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That the Son 
came to show the way to the Father is miraculous. The incarnation is remarkable. But that the Son came to play, as it were, a cosmic game of the white elephant gift exchange, He unwrapping your sin and you unwrapping His righteousness, that's love. Because love gives. You know, the Christmas gifts that you give to one another and that you receive from one another are merely symbolic. That's really what they are. That's why we do that. They're symbolic because on the first Christmas, the giver gave himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He gave up his status. He gave up his community. He gave up his wealth so that we in him might become rich. In the incarnation of Jesus, you have been given all in this life that matters and all in the life to come that matters. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Merry Christmas and Amen. Oh Lord our God, we give you thanks that you have given to us the gift of Scripture, that you've given to us your Word by which we can read and recognize your covenant love for us throughout all of history. Father, for this we praise you and honor you. And that along with that, you have given to us the fulfillment of all of Scripture in the incarnation of Christ that you have given us yourself. You, the giver, have given yourself. You've granted to us that by faith we might have the righteousness of God forever. And I pray for that this evening that we all might rest in that together. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.